Personally, I would hate to see that tradition lost, mm-hmm. just because it is such a long-standing tradition. Mm-hmm. Georgia, Florida goes back to the well. The first game was in 1904. They don't recognize the first game, of course, and that was played in Macon. So it was kind of born as an off-campus or neutral site game. It's been played in Jacksonville for forever. Uh, but you throw Tampa in there, Macon, a couple of on-campus. Uh, but it is a it is a neutral site game, and I would hate to see that hate to see that lost. Those are the words from Jason Hasty, University of Georgia athletics historian and archivist at the University of Georgia Hargrit Library. Welcome to this very special edition of the Waiting Since Last Saturday podcast. My name is Scott Duvall. I recently met up with Jason over on the third floor of the Special Collections Library, and he shared with me some truly amazing Georgia sports memorabilia. And that's what this particular podcast episode is all about. The two of us go through items such as an old baseball scorebook featuring a Georgia-Clemson game that took place over 100 years ago, all the way to Georgia Football National Championship game-worn items from just a few months ago. There's even a few old heavy UGA football schedule coins and a Vince Dooley signed record, the kind of record you used to put on a record player, that Jason discusses with me. And make sure to check out our social media at WSLS Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter because I've posted photos that I took during our conversation so you can see the jerseys, the shoes, the gloves, and the old programs we talked about in our conversation. And links to those exact posts of the photos will be in the show notes of this episode. So without any further delay, here's mine and Jason's interview. Hope you enjoy episode 308 of the Waiting Since Last Saturday podcast. Hey, this is Scott, and uh, I am just happened to be on a tour over at the Hargret Library, and my friend, my, actually my longtime friend, we just figured this out, put two and two together, my longtime friend Jason Hasty is the curator? The UGA Athletics History Specialist. He's the UGA Athletics History Specialist. Um, funny story, we just figured out we were both at the same dorm at the same time, in the summer of 1994, but I digress. We're here with Jason. He's got some interesting pieces that I'm going to put some photos on our uh, social media to kind of go along with it. But Jason, I'm standing here uh, next to this old wool baseball jersey, a Georgia baseball jersey. So could you give me some info or share with the listeners about uh, the history of this jersey? Sure, yeah. I mean, it is a wool baseball jersey circa World World War I. So just over 100 years old. We don't know a specific time, but just based on photographic evidence, the textiles dated it to around World War I, maybe even a little before. And it is wool. It is just scratchy, just low-quality wool. Uh, you wouldn't want to wear it. It's not very comfortable. It's very hot. And they would wear that with wool pants and a wool cap, and that was your baseball uniform. Yeah, and I noticed that the Georgia, the block Georgia uh, letters across the, the front of it, it's similar to the G that the Bulldogs wore during the 90s when they won the national championship. Has that changed much? You know, it's definitely not the power G. No, it's definitely not the power G. But it looks like that that retro G that they used to wear in their baseball hats. Yeah, it was the retro G. I mean, the baseball team has kind of used that G for for decades now. It fell out of favor with some of the other sports, but baseball has kind of held on to it. And, right. Uh, maybe not consistently, but they do bring that uh, they do bring that back pretty regularly. Yeah, I think it's a great throwback. It's um, just a really plain plain letter. It, it, it's a very plain yeah. jersey. There's no numbers on it. There's a number three and a number 40 stitched 
in the collar, on the inside part of the collar. But, you know, if you think back to baseball back in the early 1900s, I mean, Babe Ruth had a number, but, you know, there are some photos without numbers. Oh, yeah. You know, and the Yankees really innovated numbering because that's why Babe Ruth was number three. He was third in the lineup. Amazing. So that they just numbered the lineup then, then, and that was their number. (laughs) All right. So let's move on to uh, the next uh, item that you have listed. This is kind of fun. Many of you Georgia football fans will... We'll remember the famous uh, video and photo of uh, James Brown performing at Sanford Stadium in the early 80s. And it's a, what, it's a 33 uh, record? Is this is a 45. 45, okay, 33 is the larger one. 30, 33 and a third is the larger one, yeah. So this is uh, Dooley's Junkyard Dogs. It's a 45 single of Dooley's Junkyard Dogs. Actually, Coach Dooley gave this to us a couple of years ago. It's signed by Coach Dooley. And uh, it's kind of a fun little fact. Coach Dooley was in the recording studio with James Brown when he recorded Dooley's Junkyard Dogs. I didn't know that. Yep. Why was he there? Was it was it just like now he had James Brown written it specifically for Dooley to listen to? Like, hey, check out this track that I've got, or was it from what I understand and what coaches told me? James Brown was a big Georgia fan, sure, and so he wanted to do something for the team. He would actually, during the 70s, do even a little recruiting uh, for us. He would write letters to prospects or just kind of give his okay. Uh, he and Hank Aaron both would do that. Huh. Uh, in fact, we have a linebacker in the 70s, great linebacker, Sylvester Bowler, who committed to Georgia because, uh, in part because uh, Hank Aaron wrote him a letter to say it was a good place to go. Wow. So the, James Brown was a fan. He wanted to do something for the team. He wanted to write a song. And it's still played to it's today. still played to this day. I, mean, I think every Georgia fan probably knows it. Amazing. All right, uh, let's move on. Now we have a, uh, an official souvenir of the Georgia-Auburn game, 1903. Um, captain Ketron, that's his name, is Captain Ketron. Well, he was captain of the team. His okay. first name was Harold. All right, so Harold, but it just says Captain Ketron, and then Captain Patterson for Auburn. Um, so tell me a little bit about this. It's in a place... That um, one of the interesting things that I do with Tony and Will is I always mention places that Georgia has played teams like Piedmont Park or at Auburn or at uh, you know Columbus Memorial Stadium they played Auburn, but I haven't heard of Brisbane Park. Brisbane Park is forgotten. It was a a combination football baseball field in. Uh, the area right around where Zoo Atlanta is right now. Okay, Grant Park. Kind of in that area, mm-hmm. a, little, a little away from there, but that's the rough area. Brisbane Park, was, it existed from the 1890s into the 1920s, and it was torn down. We played there pretty regularly. Uh, in fact, if you know the story of uh, Von Gammon, the young football player here who was killed during a game against Virginia, he was actually killed at, or that game took place at Brisbane Park. So it had a little history to it. Uh, but this is actually the oldest game day program we have in the archives. It's 1903. And you pretty much see in here what you'd see in a, in a football program today, especially a, a, like a high school program. You have ads for local businesses. You have some photos of the team. You have fight songs and cheers. And... Yeah, it was. It's. It's basically they decided early on what a football program should be, and they've stuck with it. Yeah, it looks good. Can you open it up so I can yeah, see? Absolutely. All right. So he's opening the first page and turning, kind of explaining about the advertisements. Yeah, there's an there's an advertisement or announcement um, on the first page. This is just kind of the what what this thing is. You have 
Harold Ketrin, captain, M.M. Dickinson, coach. Uh, Wallace Miller was the manager, and M.S. Johnson was the assistant manager. So you have a little information about the team. And here you have a picture of the previous year's team, the 1902 team. They hadn't really quite worked out exactly what they wanted in here. Um, here's a picture of the Clemson team from 1903 for some some reason. Yeah, Clemson is in there for some reason. But the thing that I notice um, right away are the previous Georgia-Auburn games. It's funny. It says 92, 94, 95, but that means 18, 18. 92, yes. 94, 95. Sometimes you have to remind yourself mm-hmm. that you're not looking at 19, 92, 94, 95. I bet. I bet. Yeah. So, um, yeah, a lot of shutouts back in the day. Yep, low-scoring games, a lot of shutouts, uh, 0-0 tie and 0-1. And then what I love is for the current year, for what would be the current game, 0-3 Georgia-Auburn, they just have question marks. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's basically like you see, pretty much like what a current, especially like a high school program would be today. You have a lot of ads for local businesses. Mm-hmm. You know, get your, uh, get your coal at the Athens Coal and Coke Company. Uh, you know, Athens Hardware, uh, C.W. Motes, photographer. I haven't heard of him. He's probably not working anymore. <laughs> He's probably probably out of business now. Okay, so you have some Georgia songs and yell songs. Uh, I can't say that I I know or recognize any of these, and I think that people would get laughed at if you heard people saying, Ray, 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 uh, I'm not going to say that one. There's definitely some uh, non-politically correct language in some of these songs and yells. And back in back in the 1890s, 19, early 1900s, every school had just tons of little songs and mm-hmm. fight songs and yells that their students would know and, and cheers. And they've pretty much fallen out of out of except favor. Texas A&M, except for Texas A&M, which is interesting. They're kind of a relic, and what they do is what originally schools would do. You would have cheer leaders who would lead the fans in specific cheers and yells. So when you see Texas A&M, I mean, on those rare occasions when we see Texas A&M, they're really doing, what they're doing is really a throwback to what it originally was. Mm -hmm. You weren't having cheerleaders with pom-poms just kind of doing their own thing. It was more interactive with the audience. And, you know, a lot of these, like Georgia Now and Ever, which is probably... Um, is that know, kind of a precursor to the alma mater that they kind of sing? yeah probably mm-hmm. you know either like ha hoo ra ra hoo ra ra ka ra Georgia yeah that doesn't make any sense to me like if you like you said you probably get laughed at if you you would yeah start doing that so all right so what else you got here yeah absolutely let me just uh, and I had grabbed just kind of a right right bag of things so let's see here right, he's opening a box I had seen the previous three I have no idea what's in this one oh wow. So these are, again, football programs. They're from the 1930 and 32 season. I really like this, uh, this 1930. It's a, it's a cartoon drawing. I'm going to take a photo of it. Um, it's the season program, so it's not a, a specific game. Well, they would issue they issued basically one program for the season sometimes, and so you just kind of get that. And then we may have, you know, that was the season schedule, uh, this one apparently was an Auburn game, Georgia 39, Auburn 7, October 25, 1930. Uh, you see its theme here. And, uh, yeah, the, it looks like a Mercer, Oglethorpe, and Yale are on this uh, 1930 schedule in New York University. And we would have played NYU. Uh, I believe we played NYU in New York in 1930. Probably like Yankee Stadium yep. or something. Yeah, we do. We would play them there. 
I'm going to get a photo of here. You're going to hear the camera click. But yeah, what I like about this is it's uh, it's in, it's in color, and this is probably very expensive for them to print in color. It would have been very expensive. This would have been a very nice souvenir program. That's why it's called a souvenir, gotcha. or an official program. Uh, and it cost 25 cents, which in 1930, you think that's the Depression. 25 cents is actually kind of a, a lot of money. Right. Uh, Maybe equivalent to what, an 8 to $12 program now. Eight or $12 program yeah. now. Okay. And this one is really fun. It's a lot more plain. It actually has Harold Hirsch Hall, uh, which had just opened a home of the law school. But it's Georgia, Florida, uh, Georgia 1, 33-12, October 29, 1932, in Athens for homecoming. Okay, so this is before they were you know, going to Jacksonville every year. Because now when you think the last time Florida played in Athens was 1994, when they were re, uh, we tried not to know, think of that. Redo- yeah, <laughs> when they were redoing the the Gator Bowl. Yeah, this is what. No, they, it was ninety five. I'm 95. sorry, everybody's yelling at their. Uh, this is what makes it's, good podcasting when I make a mistake. But yes, it was the same day we've made. We've established it was the same day that the Braves won the World Series. So I was sitting here silently judging. Mm-hmm. Guys. Yeah, yeah, which which is good for <laughs> podcasting. Uh, yeah, but this is they would. Georgia Florida has really never been an on campus game. Uh, it has been played on either campus a couple of times. This is one of the very rare times that it was played here in Athens. And, and again, it was homecoming. I mean, if you can picture now the cocktail party in Athens on top of homecoming and what that would do to the city of Athens. It'd be a boom for the economy. It would be a very busy day for both athens Clark County and University of Georgia Police, along with other jurisdictions, yes. I'm sure. <laughs> Traffic would be a nightmare, but it would be a spectacle. It would be. Home. And uh, what do you think? So you think one day in the next 20 years we will see an on-campus uh, Georgia-Florida game? Because it's always debated about, and people have their opinions. Well, I, personally, I would hate to see that tradition lost, mm-hmm. just because it is such a long-standing tradition. Mm-hmm. Georgia, Florida goes back to the well. The first game was in 1904. They don't recognize the first game, of course, uh, and that was played in Macon. So it was kind of born as an off-campus or neutral site game. It's been played in Jacksonville for forever, uh, but you throw Tampa in there, Macon, a couple of on-campus. Uh, but it is a it is a neutral site game, and I would hate to see that hate to see that lost. Yeah, especially now with you know traditions so, yeah. of college football going away by the week. You know, with UCLA and USC going to the Big Ten, Texas and Oklahoma coming to the SEC. I still stand by the fact that we need to give South Carolina and Missouri back to some other conference. But <laughs> I digress on that. Um, you know, it, it, I agree. The Oregon game might actually be a conference game. But one day, you're right. And that, as far fetched as that would have sound three months ago, it doesn't sound too far fetched now. But I, I agree with you. Um, let's hold on to the traditions that we can control sure. because so many of them are going away. Well, and, and, and you speak of tradition. It's not just the, the game itself. It's, it's families, friends for generations going to Jacksonville. They have the things that they do. They have their tailgating areas. They have their tailgating groups. They St. Mary's, uh, St. Simon's, all that area. It's such a hugely important game for them economically, socially, historically. You'd hate to see that go away. Yeah. Like you said, especially with so many traditions kind of falling by the way. So. Yeah, so keep the the game in Jacksonville and Texas A&M. Y'all keep doing your silly uh, rah-rahs, right? Yep, exactly. <laughs> the Waiting Since Society podcast is sponsored this season by 7-6 Apparel. You're hearing about all kinds of historical memorabilia in this episode, and at 7-6 Apparel, there are call-outs to very historical moments 
in Georgia football history that you can then wear to games. If you listen to our previous episode, you'll recall me telling Will about my first 7-6 shirt that I ever bought. It's always Sony in Pasadena, which is a call-out and a throwback to the 2018 Rose Bowl game in which Sony scored the walk-off touchdown in double overtime versus Oklahoma that everyone so fondly remembers. And when you think of Sonny Michelle, you think of him being part of the legendary RBU at Georgia. Many of y'all could easily rattle off some of the greats to ever tote the rock for the dogs. Herschel, Hurst, Noshawn, Gurley, Chubb, Michelle, Swift, to name a few. And that list right there that I just mentioned is memorialized in one of 7-6's t-shirts. And quite frankly, if I could put a bug in their ear, perhaps 7-6 could have another shirt with sequence tape, Henderson, Smith, Cook, and Zeus, among many other legendary running backs. You can go to the76.com, and that's spelled out the76, and check out their Athens collection. Maybe you're like me and have plenty of t-shirts. There's also some slick-looking fishing shirts, belts, socks, pullovers, hats with the trophy on them from just a few months ago, and even the retro mesh all-around rope hat with the G on it, the kind that Sonny Siler has been known to wear throughout the years as he's walking around Ugga. There's really something for everyone at 7-6 Apparel, and with the 2022 season closing in fast, you still have plenty of time to order something and have it ready to wear for September 3rd at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. You can follow 7-6 Apparel on social media at 7-6 Apparel, that's spelled out on Instagram and Twitter. And when you order online at the76.com, enter promo code WSLS for free shipping. And now, back to the episode. A couple other things here, um, and then we'll get into a couple of modern things. This is actually a playbook from the 1950s. Oh, wow. So this would have been during the Butts era. Let me get a photo of that first page. It's, a, it's basically an offensive play, it looks yeah. like. Somebody just sketched in pencil an offensive play. And that's exactly what it is. Uh, today, you know, all of the uh, all the pl- scouting reports, all the play you know, the playbooks are loaded up onto iPads. They're electronic and given to the players. Back then, you literally had Wally Butt standing at the front of the room, drawing out plays on a chalkboard, and the players would be responsible for actually drawing the plays in their playbooks and then holding on to them. Yeah, this one says Furman defense, and there's a note written in it: "Don't get blocked by the tackle." And then to watch out on the watch, watch the end. And it looks like he's, he somebody wrote your and drew a, a line to to say like, hey, maybe he was talking to a guy. Say this is your guy. Could very well be. I mean, it's just a very light pencil sketch. Mm-hmm. It says your. It's pointing at the tackle, and uh, you know, right under the don't get blocked by the tackle. So it could be that they were talking about or, or kind of brainstorming about some of their responsibilities. Mm-hmm. You know, here you have slow. So maybe this is a slow uh, type block here. And you notice this is a mix of, you have some single wing formation and some T formation mixed in it as well. I'll open this up and you can see a little more. Oh wow, special teams. Special teams, you have a list of all the. Um, it's, it's basically players. like a depth chart. Yeah, this is exactly what it is. Kickoff. Point after, okay. And these are meticulously written um, with very good handwriting, you know, it's like when you want to sit down and write a note. Uh, I guess to it's, it's not chicken scratch what you would think a coach would write. This is almost looks like it would be a definite game plan notebook. Yep. 
Very intricate. You know, these are, you could imagine when you see coaches on the sideline hiding their face with their big laminated cards. This is what it was back then, just your typical spiral notebook uh, written in pencil. Something you could have gotten into five and dime. In fact, the string for the pencil is still attached. Amazing. So that's literally what they would have had. Got a picture of that for y'all. A couple other things here. Um, This is a baseball. We were talking about our baseball jersey earlier, and this is just a little. Oh, Will would love this. He he keeps score at every game he goes to. This is just a little Georgia Bulldogs pin from Mm -hmm. the 30s. This is from 1914. Okay, so we're looking at an official scorebook, uh, basically from a Georgia baseball game. Um, you know how you season would, actually oh, for the, the 14 s- season. Oh, it's the season. Yeah, and it was kept by Charles Brown. He was a university official, and then university baseball. It team. looks like he wrote it in uh, like a, almost a calligraphy pen or just a nice. Okay, I was going to say a water-based pen. Yeah, but it does look like calligraphy. Yep. His address, 834 Prince Avenue, Athens, Georgia. No zip code. No zip code. None needed. They're using the Harry Wright system of scoring. Oh, wow. And you can go game by game from the 1914 season, and it is absolutely meticulously done. Yeah, so this is a Clemson, Georgia game. Athens, March 27, 1914. Leadoff walk. To someone named, is that Glenn? Glenn. Could be. And it looks like there's a McWhorter. That's a famous name, batting yeah. third that, that was day. probably Bob McWhorter, okay. who was Georgia's first football All-American and really the progenitor of Georgia's great running back tradition. Mm-hmm. He was also a fantastic baseball player. And you can go day by day through the season. Here's the next day, March 28th, again against Clemson. I'm going to get a picture of this so I can show. Yeah, because like I said, Will... He's meticulous, and he actually wrote about it in one of his weekly newsletters about how he keeps score and scorebooks and archives of scorebooks. And that's one of the things that if there was a fire, he would want someone to take care of. (laughs) Well, you have to get the important thing. So Georgia, Georgia Tech on Sanford Field, uh, which a lot of people don't remember, or there's really no living memory of Sanford Field anymore, but people aren't aware of Sanford Field. Sanford Field was the first purpose-built football baseball facility, general sports facility on campus, and it stood where, uh, basically where the Tate Center is today. Okay. So if you ever tailgated the Tate Center or in the Tate Center parking lot, you're tailgating on what was Sanford Field. And that was built in 1911. It was torn down. It opened in 1913. It was torn down in 1943 uh, to make room for old Stegman Hall, Mm -hmm. uh, which a lot of alumni will remember old Stegman. All right, so we now have another fragile uh, shoebox, it looks like. It is a shoebox. The, the fragile is not really fragile, even though all this should be handled with care. Uh, this looks more modern day. This is absolutely Oh, I kn- everybody would recognize that uh, confetti. So we'll, we'll dig and kind of start from the bottom up here. Okay. These are the cleats that Nick Chubb wore in the Rose Bowl. Wow. So what size does he wear? 13. He was a, he's a 13. We'll get a photo of this. All right. And these are the gloves that Sony was wearing when he scored the touchdown <laughs> really? in the Rose Bowl. Yeah. Okay, there's a, there's a mark on his uh, right knuckle, it looks like. When we got these right after the Rose Bowl, the grass stains were still very bright green and fresh. They okay. faded a little bit, as they will. But, yeah, these were 
the actual gloves that he was wearing when he scored the winning touchdown, which we've all seen that clip a million many, times. Many, many times. And we'll see it a million times from here on out. So this is... These are some things from the national championship game. This is the play call wristband that Stetson Bennett wore. I'm not going to take a picture of this. I don't want this getting into the wrong hands. This has actual plays on it. These have the actual plays on it, and these are our current plays. We don't take photographs of it. When we display it, I actually put a blank piece of paper. Smart, yeah. Uh, You never know where Nick Saban's lurking about trying to get our plays. (laughs) But these are this is the the actual playbook or the uh, wristband that he was wearing. So yeah, you can imagine, you know, when when the the call is signaled in um, in college. You know they're going to look at a wristband, and so basically, it's. I would assume they're going to look up the number, and um, there's some check marks on it for perhaps plays that they think might work. Uh, I'm just guessing, yeah. Um, but yeah, just the the typical stuff that you would you would see. You know, um, like you know a hook play. I'm I'm not reading it verbatim because I want to protect Georgia. But there's you know hitch play. You know. Uh, a check down. Um, so yeah, these are, uh, but it's very, very detailed and I don't know, it seems like a, you know, a different language. It is a different language. It and it, it shows you how else. intricate yeah. all this stuff, even at a college level is. It, it really is. And just think of, he has to remember what all this language means, be able to communicate it effectively to the other players and do that in a timely manner while you have, you know, 300 guys, 300 pound guys on the other side waiting to rip your head off. Yeah, Will Anderson's yes. chasing you down. Yeah, no, exactly. Right. So you, you think about kind of the level of processing that it takes to do that. And you especially you compare it to the earlier playbook where we yeah. saw where there's really no language at all, just little lines going here and there, and you kind of just know where you need to go. Amazing. So these are the wristbands that Keely Ringo was wearing when he scored the pick six. Oh, wow. Nike wristbands. This looks like something that your kid would wear, you know, playing pickup football or baseball. Just your basic white Nike wristbands. But, man, they are special. They are very special. They really are. Uh, I have to admit, when I got those in, that was, uh, that was a pretty special moment to hold those. Sure. And the way we get these, I work really closely with the Athletic Association, uh, and they are fully supportive of what we do here in the archives. I mean, they, they, really, they really are great. Um, after the national championship game, as everyone was celebrating in the locker room, you have a couple of guys from sports communications, uh, Steve Caldwell, Leland Barrow, going around to players, asking them if they could donate things to the archives. Wow. So you think of the heat of the moment, mm-hmm. you know, so ecstatic, and that's what they're doing. Is that's, that's what they're thinking about, is getting stuff for the archives. And Stetson pulled off his play call wristband, said, here you go. Right. Uh, Keeley said, take my wristbands. And one of the receivers gave us his his towel as well, the belt uh, mm-hmm. the towel they wear in the belt. So, so I've got a question. I was at uh, the Braves game on Sunday. Uh, I happen to have the greatest seats I've ever sat in, right by the Braves dugout. But the thing I noticed was when you know a ball is thrown in the dirt and the catcher looks at it and throws it off to the side. Mm-hmm. I was always wondering, and I'm sure many people listening wonder, like, well, they just are those batting practice balls. They're not. They were thrown over. There's a guy sitting right next to the dugout with a pen and a scantron and a hologram, and they put. Uh, they basically I'd, I'd authenticate it okay. right there on the spot. Yeah. So, and that, that was kind of interesting to see. You know where they could either go to a Hall of Fame or more likely they're going to be sold as game used balls. Do y'all do any kind of like like these wristbands? You know, they're Keely Ringo. Is there any kind of like log or authentication process, or is it just by 
hey, we have it here, so it's authenticated, like for future generations. Well, for this, we know the provenance mm-hmm. because Keeley handed them Steve Colquitt sure. and Leland Barrow, who then handed them to me. So mm-hmm. we have an absolute chain of, of, of ownership, um, and we will note that in our catalog. Okay, you so know, there it these is. These were Keeley Ringo's wristbands. They were worn in the national championship game, and we'll probably note in there that he was wearing them when he scored that pick six. Mm-hmm. There are things like the baseball jersey we just don't know, right? You know, we can tell you this is a, ba- a Georgia baseball sure. jersey. We know it is what it is. How you know what the chain of ownership is, what the provenance is, we don't know. And before we end, and this has been an amazing um, thing, I'll, I'll we'll save the last thing. Um, uh, for last, I guess there's there's archives and stuff, famous you know memorabilia out there at estate sales that haven't even been discovered yet. Is there is there like a, I don't know like a piece that you're hunting for, or is there something that you're saying maybe one day we'll find this or get it, or or has something come in recently that blew your mind? You know, no, I'll give you two things. Um, one, a gentleman came in a few weeks ago and. Uh, he had a copy of a book that Charlie Trippy had written. Uh, it was called Backfield Play. Okay. And it was just Charlie Trippy's guide to how to play the running back position, uh, which, you know, you're getting it from the best. And he asked if we wanted it, and I said, you know, I've heard of this book. I've never even seen a cover. So absolutely take it. So sometimes we do get people come in off the street and just say, I have this thing. Do you want it? And, and so we never know what's coming in. Um, as for a... Kind of a a dream piece, and I don't know if it even exists, but uh, there are always rumors that it does. But uh, we mentioned the Von Gammon uh, tragedy earlier. Uh, he was killed in a game against the University of Virginia in 1897. Uh, football was banned by the state legislature, uh, and his mother famously wrote a letter to the governor asking that uh, he not sign the bill to ban football because his her son loved the game so much. Mm-hmm. And I would love to have that letter. That would okay. be a dream piece. And I don't know. Uh, there are always rumors that it's out there, but I've never seen something that we could say was the real actual letter. So Fascinating. Um, okay, so before we end up, I see some coins and some confetti. So, yeah, this is, uh, this is exactly what it is. This is the confetti that fell from the ceiling from the national championship game. Um, you know, if you, if you ever wonder, can confetti be historic? Uh, sure. Yeah. yeah. It absolutely can be. So it's tied to this event. We know what it is. And... No story of the 2022 or 2021 season could be complete without it. And these are real, these coins are really neat. They're, they're not done anymore. They were done in the 70s and 80s. They're scheduled coins. Oh, wow. And if you were a season ticket holder and donor at the beginning of every year, they would give you a coin with the little design in the front, and the reverse would have that year's schedule on it. For those of you who are uh, of my age and Jason's age, Gen Xers, uh, these basically look like the Turtles Records coins that would you would get $5 towards a yeah, CD. Exactly. The, the, they may be the same manufacturer. <laughs> right. Actually, I wonder if I could get the, get a CD for these. So. Actually, I wonder <laughs> if I could still get a CD. So so what's the – these are really cool. I'm going to get a photo of these. Um, what, what do you think is the monetary value of something like either these coins – well, I know some are priceless because you can't replace the 1914 uh, scorebook or anything, but sure. what's, what's, how would you, I don't know, I guess for anybody listening, how would you 
price these things, or, or would you? You know, I, I actually avoid knowing the price of okay. those materials. Um, one, I just I just don't like to get into that aspect right. of it. Uh, but two, sometimes when I'm handling things, I just think I'd rather not know how much this is worth. But but for us here, I mean, these things really are priceless. Right. You know, the confetti. It, it may sound strange to say that, but it is a, a tie to that game. It is a tie to that moment. And going forward, you know, we're trying to preserve that for generations so that, you know, our kids, grandkids, their kids right. can come in here and see it. Um, same with the, the, the scorebook or Chubb's cleats. You know, these things are, are priceless to the archives because they are part of the, the overall history of our university and the overall history of our athletics. Program. Yeah, the more I think about my question, it's kind of a dumb question because I'm standing here amongst memorabilia that can't be replicated. No. Um, Nick Chubb's shoes, his game-worn shoes, the, the jersey. And you're right, this confetti, I, you know, I've seen it with people that went to the game that have pieces of it, and sure, but I didn't go to the game. Yep. I've never seen it, and I'm kind of taken aback by it. Uh, in a stra- in, and especially the uh, the history of the the wristband for the plays and Keely Ringo's um, wristbands. Um, this is a fascinating uh, collection, and I'm really glad that I ran into you. Yep. Funny story, I was here for uh, a photo shoot with a the client of mine and I was like I need to find Jason if he's here and uh, just so happened he's here and he's been very gracious with his time and, sure, and yeah. showing this off and I, I hope you all have enjoyed listening to it so where can Georgia fans or how could they come see collections I know y'all do a road show every now and then but how if they're in Athens can they come by and see anything yeah absolutely so there are a lot of ways you can access this one of the archives are just totally open to the public okay you don't have to be a member of the university to come in here to look at stuff. If you want to come in and say, hey, I really want to, I love old football programs. Can I look at old football programs? Yeah, we have a pretty much complete set dating back to the 30s and then examples going from before that. Uh, just come up to the third floor reference desk of the Russell Building on campus, not Russell Hall, the dorm, but the Russell Special Collections Libraries Building and uh, ask what, how we can help you. Uh, the other thing is that we do a, a we do a traveling roadshow in the summer of public libraries that goes around the state. Um, I'm not sure when y'all will deal with this, but we have dates coming up in Peachtree City, Kennesaw, St. Mary's, and Jessup. Then in the fall every year, I do a large museum exhibit about the history of Georgia sports, some mm-hmm. different okay. aspect of it. Uh, last year, I looked at the history of integration. This year, I'm going to be looking at Title IX and women's athletics and the mm-hmm. growth of Title IX on campus. But again, that's totally free, totally open to the public. And on Fridays before home football games at 3 p.m., I do a free guided tour of the exhibit. Wow. So you can just show up before you start your football weekend, learn a little something. It's pretty relaxed, pretty casual. It's yeah. not a formal tour. Sure. Um, so you can, it's inviting for everyone. And so website and social media, how do people find you? Yeah, uh, really easy. Just Google UGA Special Collections Libraries. It'll get you right to us. Uh, our homepage is there. You can also email me, uh, just hasty at uga.edu. Uh, and then social media, just at Hargret Library or Hargret Library. Perfect. Well, Jason, I appreciate you taking all this time and I'm glad I ran into you and uh, this is amazing. I'm going to get a few more photos, but yeah, I mean, y'all definitely look up um, the special collections. I mean, and if you do have a a chance, I know that I'd love to bring my boys up here to see it. They, they, they're of the age to where they would appreciate the history because they've lived it. 
uh, like all of us have. And it's, it's so cool uh, to see, you know, the, the gloves from uh, Sony and the cleats from Nick Chubb from the Rose Bowl are cool, but it is kind of made up for when you see the confetti and the wristbands and the, the play sheet from the actual national championship game that usurps that definitely. Um, so I'm, gl- I'm glad I was able to see this. I'm, I'm kind of uh, speechless, uh, which is a rarity for me. But, uh, but yeah, y'all check out uh, the Special Collections Library. And um, Jason, you want to give a hearty uh, go dogs for everybody? Go dogs. I will not do the old yells. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's not do that. <laughs> And thanks so much for listening. Make sure to follow the Hargret Library on Twitter and Instagram. It's at Hargret Library. And I'll spell that for you. H-A-R-G-R-E-T-T Library. I'm not going to spell that one for you. Uh, Will, Tony, and I will be back very soon with our National College Football Preview Show, the SEC Preview Show, the 2022 Georgia Football Preview Show. And those three episodes will lead us up into our Game Week episode as the dogs take on the Ducks at Mercedes-Benz Stadium on September 3rd. And thanks again to Jason for taking time to share these amazing pieces with me and you, the listeners. And make sure to check out our podcast sponsor, 7-6 Apparel, and order yourself some awesome merchandise from the Athens Collection for the upcoming season. Use code WSLS at checkout for free shipping. And we'll see you on campus in a few weeks. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>